what Christ has given us, grace, is a lot like what a patron gives an artist. Yeah. I'm giving you the resources. I'm giving you the time. I'm giving you the energy. Yeah. I'm giving you the the platform and the canvas and the tools. I'm giving you whatever yeah. you want to create something that glorifies my name. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Salvato, and I'm joined today by my friend, Riley Taylor. Riley, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm taking the day off today, actually. Well, thanks for spending some of your day off with me, man. Yeah, dude, absolutely. This is this is a day off, hanging out with you. Aw, <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah, this is my favorite part of my job, just getting to have awesome conversations with people I respect and people I'm friends with. It's, it's truly a joy, man, and uh, it's a joy to have you here on the show. Riley, how long have we known each other? I don't know. We live in parallel. <laughs> we live in a parallel universe where we are the same person, just in different geographical locations. I don't know how yeah. long we've known, known each other, but probably been aware of each other going on what seven to 10 years, maybe or more. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I, I, I was trying to pin that down because I, I feel like I'm trying to remember the first time I encountered you was when we were at that CGN thing in New York, or if it was at the very first Expositors Collective. I think that might have been oh. the first time we actually met. Yes. Yeah. My... That was that was what five six years ago. Yeah, it was Expositors Collective, their first event ever, and I was a part of a little preaching class where they were gonna grill us on our sermon skills and we had to prepare a 10 minute sermon and the guy who was supposed to be leading my little subgroup got sick or something and then they brought you in and then i was like who's this dude and then uh, after hanging out with you for a few hours i was like oh i like this guy <laughs> that's good it's those long form environments where we're forced to be together for hours <laughs> that i really thrive yes i flourish Same. in those environments very much the same. Well, yeah, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Right now I am the lead pastor at Calvary Fellowship in just north of Seattle. Mm -hmm. And I've been that for coming up on five years. So mm -hmm. about four and a half years, been doing that. My dad founded this church in 1977. Mm. And so I took it over for him when he when it was 41 years old and we're coming up on 45 or 46. So Wow. Continuing a legacy while also leading into, you know, what it will become for the next generation. And I actually have my sights set on 100 years down the road. Oh, Who will great. we be 100 years from now? I think that that's a really important question yeah. for ministries, for churches. Yeah, and, that's really good. And so, uh, you know, other than that, you know, I've been a musician and a filmmaker and a creative type for a yes. long time and and now i'm since i preach and preaching is my main creative outlet my worry there was is this creative am i being creative <laughs> and then i i've come to realize like oh yeah it's all coming from the same yes creative energy inside my soul so yes. yeah i selected you specifically dude because of your uh your creativity not you know believe it or not you were not selected for an interview just because you're a senior pastor of a church yeah. um, sp speaking of that by the way i was it like a mufasa simba situation like did you have an evil uncle that like threw wayne off a cliff and then you defeated him and 
now you're now Wayne talks to you in the clouds or yes Wayne's, Wayne's still alive but uh, all that all that is true okay forgot the Hakuna Matata part oh yeah no just just <laughs> just, just joking no it's uh the Bible it's much more days. of a uh, <laughs> no yeah uh, rebellious <laughs> young adult years no I went to school for for filmmaking that's what I did I I was a I went to the in an art school. I started working in video production, became mm-hmm. producer, editor, and stuff like that. I worked on a lot some cool projects, a lot of not so cool projects, but but really good experience. When I worked at Microsoft as a video producer, I I made oh, wow. three thousand videos in one year. So <laughs> I thought you were, these are, I thought you were about to say three thousand dollars in one year. I was like that <laughs> that sounds about right for the life of a video editor. <laughs> Yeah, and Microsoft. Well, everyone's <laughs> to start, and I'm making three thousand. No, I I was, you know, I I was a contractor, and in the tech world, that's a that's a lower class human being. Oh but, um, yes, I know. Because I well they aware. they need you to be expendable at some point, which is yeah. important, I think, for their business model. But anyways, so that's what I did. That's what I wanted to do, and. At a certain point, 2009, God called me into ministry as far as like a full-time capacity. I was always serving. I believe we are all called to serve and be ministers. But the the jump to taking ownership for like a large department or church is right. not for everybody. And it's yes. a preaching and teaching thing, which becomes complicated, you know, a lot of heavy responsibility you're trying yeah. to care for people in a different way mm-hmm. that was 2009 and then and then i worked mm-hmm. at microsoft in 2013 just took a year off of ministry and then i got pulled back into pastoring young adults in 2014 mm-hmm. and then that kind of that trajectory is still going so i eventually took over as lead pastor once my dad was ready to step aside mm-hmm. and it's been pretty smooth other than just normal challenges in the life cycle of a church that's trying to <laughs> right go for the next 50 years right well from what i can see man i think you're doing a great job i've been blessed to watch your journey i'm blown away to learn more of the context behind your story because it's like there's so many parallels to my own life and i won't bore the listeners with like my whole backstory because one you're not interviewing me and two they've heard it before but just to tell you it's 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 crazy because i feel like our lives parallel but like we went in different opposite like like same trajectory but then like opposite forks in the road we we took i took the left turn you took the right turn i wanted to go to film school i pastor son just like you i got voted in our in my private christian schools yearbook i got always voted most likely to be a missionary most likely to be a pastor just because because of how i was raised and just who my parents were i really absorbed all that jesus stuff early on and i was known at my school for you know counseling friends and praying for friends but i did not want to be a pastor i was like i do not want to do what my dad does i'm going to be my own man my own individual and so i wanted to go to la and film school and do all that stuff that was my passion it was you know short films and i was always the guy who doing the video projects for school and getting all that sweet, sweet extra credit for when we didn't read the book, but we decided to make a short film based on the book. You know, that's how things rolled at my private school. Teachers but, uh, love that stuff. 
Oh yeah. Teachers go, wow, what a great job. And you don't, they don't realize how easy it was for you. And you're <laughs> just skating by. It's you so know, fun. You're just like, you did it the day before. <laughs> like it's, it's not easy, but it's fun. It's like, you're passionate yeah, about it. That's right. Um, okay. Just, just to uh, highlight that really quick there. So one time me and my friends did a short film. It was this three part, like epic hour long thing on a book called the house of the seven gables for English class. The funny thing is we were assigned the book. No one in that project, including me, read the book. We were too lazy to read it. So we tried to get cliff notes, couldn't find it. So instead we went to Blockbuster Video and rented a VHS tape of a movie based on The House of Seven Gables. What we found out way later after making our movie was that that adaption that we rented at Blockbuster was only very, very loosely based on the book. <laughs> so our project was loosely based on a loosely based adaption of the real book. So it, it, it like the plot just had nothing to do with the actual story, but our teacher thought it was so hilarious. He gave us A's. So yeah, anyway, um, I did that so many times. I did a, <laughs> I did a rap. I had to memorize to be or not to be, I think it was for, for Shakespeare. Me too. Me too. And that so, was my first video project was to be or not to be. <laughs> and so I made a rap. Oh my gosh. For it, And I, I had my friend Eric come beatbox. <laughs> and the funny thing was I didn't memorize the speech. He, <laughs> he would beatbox. And while he was doing like a solo, I would go look at the speech like on my note cards and remind myself of the words. And, and the whole time my teacher just didn't even notice. She was just like eating it up. That's awesome, dude. I, do you still have that? Can you send it to me? No, no, I, I don't have it. I, I, I wish I did. I wish I recorded it. I recorded mine, but it was only on a VHS tape and we lost it. It's lost to time. Oh. But mine was essentially me in this black robe with like a, a Sharpie goatee, like painted onto my face. And I was in like seventh grade or something. And I was just like in my backyard and I start out to be or not to be like in this very dramatic voice. And then like, as I'm going through the, the soliloquy or whatever you call it, I'm just like amping up my aggression. And so I start flipping over my parents, like pool tables and pool chairs and everything. You know, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Just, you know, just. Was this edited together or was it one shot? It was just like one long, oh. <laughs> one long shot. I was um, going to say, cause you could have just pieced it together and then never had to like memorize it actually. No, I act, that was one of the only things I ever memorized for school was that, uh, that's Good for you. Stupid Shakespeare uh, speech. But uh, yeah, man, it's yes, it's it's crazy to see the the parallels. And I, I, I immediately thought of you with the creativity thing, because, yeah, one, I love talking to you. It's so funny because today I called you to ask you a question about whether or not we were going to do video on this episode. And we got into like an hour long conversation. and I never even asked you the original question because that's how much I enjoy talking to you. I was just like, yeah, hey. We <laughs> we ended up doing a whole podcast episode just on the phone just and, off then, mic. and then wishing we had, would have pressed record. My wife just told me that my son is sleeping. I think my Shakespearean antics might have caused a problem. I, for, <laughs> I forgot. I got into it. But yeah, no, we had a, a, a off mic podcast, basically, and which is just what some people call a conversation. But um, here's another thing that I realized way later in the game with you, Riley, was I knew about you before I knew about you when I was a middle school pastor, because 
I, I wanted to go to film school and then God pulled me into ministry and it, it ended up being the best thing for me. But uh, when I was a middle school pastor, there was a series of cartoon videos called the Axe series. Oh, yeah. uh, dude, those were some of the funniest things I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. And I had no well, idea that was you. That's my greatest masterpiece. Can you explain that? Wait, can I play a clip really quick? Yes. Yeah. Oh, just to get, get us in the headspace for this. Oh, Please do. I'm going to pull up Axe one because I remember that one was great. I think Judas like falls off a cliff or something. Hold on. Let me, let me see if I can play. Come on. Come on. Theophilus, you ready for story time? Yeah, story time! All right, Theophilus, remember the first book I wrote to you? How I told you about that man, Jesus, and all the stuff he did? After that all happened, he was talking to all his disciples, and then all of a sudden, right before their eyes, he started to raise up into the air, into the sky, and then, boom, he was gone, and they were all like, what the heck? Zoom, these two guys in white just showed up, and they're like, what are you guys doing looking for Jesus, man? So then they went back home, and this guy, Peter, he was like the leader, he was like, Guys, there's only 11 of us left because, you know, you know what happened to Judas, you know. <laughs> so anyways, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to stop it there. That Dude, that is so <laughs> funny. And I just, I, I have middle school boys. Well, they're not, they're like adults now. They're like married. Like some of them are youth pastors themselves. And they remember that, like we have inside jokes based around your video series. Can you explain how this came about? Like, what is this? I still don't even understand. It was 2009 doing a study through Acts at our college group. And I just had the idea of, because we have all these old flannel graphs in, <laughs> in our children's ministry resource room. And I had the idea of doing a stop motion thing, but I realized that stop motion is super hard. And, and yeah. I, did a, I did do a stop motion Jonah series with Legos, but that was so hard. Stop motion is so hard. So I, what I ended up doing is I photographed each asset uh, against a green background and then in Photoshop chroma keyed out the characters. And then I assembled it into like a whole folder structure, characters, crowds, backgrounds. I made a bunch of background, different ones, and then photographed those and brought them in to find her and just kind of organize this whole thing. So I kind of had the whole, all the assets at my fingertips right. before creating each episode. <clears throat> and then Which what I would great. do is, I know, and make it, when you have everything at your fingertips, it allows you, yeah. when you have your tools ready. When you can see it visually. Yeah, when you have your tools ready and everything, you're not like set up tear down every time. And right. um, that helps you be more creative. <laughs> And then what I would do is I would record the audio first <laughs> and which is typical for animation. You know, right. they record, they do storyboards, then audio, then right. they lay that on the storyboards and then they replace the storyboards with the drawings. So what I would do is I would actually record my voice just with the Bible open. Right, right. <laughs> and I would just pitch my voice really high and go, okay, at the office, you ready for story time? Yeah, story time. Oh, you know was I mean? was like it that. was it scripted or or was it mostly just ad lib? Like just going through the text and just coming up with ideas on the spot? So it's both. Okay. Uh, yeah. Some of the some of the jokes come from the New King James version. <laughs> just straight out. Like they were Acts all in two, one accord. 
they're all in one accord and then they started to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance because <laughs> this is such a funny way didn't that you have like an it. accord car pull up when it said they're all in one accord and the yeah. disciples all pile out of the car yeah dude yeah. that was so funny yeah, um, what, the what, funny thing about that was that was the car that i owned the time I had a, tw- a 1989 Honda Accord. Oh my god! While making those, see, the crazy thing to me about this is like this is the beauty of youth ministry because most senior pastors don't like have the time to do something like this or or even like the desire to. But with youth ministry, it's like just anything goes, and you can just it's a it's kind of a playground I think for creativity. But that's a labor of love, man. That's a lot of work to. Because you did, did you do one of these for basically every sermon? I'm looking at the playlist on YouTube. I'm going to put the playlist for this beautiful, beautiful web series in the uh, show notes for you guys to enjoy. Um, we ended up doing. You went so up to Acts 28. Yeah, all the way. I did every single one. Uh, and you did all the editing yourself? Like it was just. Yeah, I did it all voices. myself. It yeah. was <laughs> Final Cut Pro 7. Oh, was, wow. I would do. So all of the assets existed as PNGs with transparency. Yeah. So I could keyframe animate within Final Cut 7. It was so easy. Like you really need to set up, set yourself up for sustainability. But the the problem was it was a, an older Mac Pro. And once you added drop shadow, which is yeah. key to selling the effect, right? Right, right, right. Once I added drop shadow on everything, that just made the rendering just terrible. So I would end up having to do that at the end. But all the music comes from a band called Danielson Family, which was like, oh. it's Sufjan Stevens' cousin or something like that. <laughs> and I heard them and I thought, this is funny. Their music <laughs> is crazy. Wait, but if was you watch through it. Was that going, uh, come was, on, that, the, was come that them in the intro going, come on? Yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. A lot of it, a lot of the, the vibe of it I thought is that was their you. music. No, there's a, I use a lot of that. I take a lot of inspiration from it. Yeah. Into the into the actual recordings that I did. Was that you also that did those those old videos? They were like way like a long time ago. I, I almost want to say like 15 years ago. If you find them on YouTube, they're like super fuzzy. But it's like those old Hanna-Barbera like Jesus movies. Not Hanna-Barbera. That's animated. It's just it's these old Jesus movies from like the 60s or 70s. And there's just like this uh, uh, like <laughs> like the voice is basically like, yeah, Peter. Like Jesus was kind of like the, the super stick in the mud, like no fun. He, he's yes. uh, he's like P- Peter. I don't care if you say my name, just not when you stub your toe. Yes, yes, I remember that. No, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. That was a church I think called Vintage Twenty One Church or something okay. like that. I thought they it might put have been it, you. It was early, early YouTube. Right, and it was like uh, Peter. It, they were making fun of religious people a lot. Right. I remember yeah. that. And the fu- the funny thing is I did take that idea from them for another series we did called, we did another series called Judgmental Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, my friend Josh plays Jesus and he's an American Jesus. He's got a, an American flag uh, <laughs> ban- bandana and a, a like a, like a goatee or like a, <laughs> a handlebar mustache That's and awesome. he's always drinking Michelob light. <laughs> it's oh, stuff man. that, yeah, you, you do for your college group. That's, That's what you so do. Great. 
Dude, I love it, man. I, I get the labor of love thing. My We had a tradition with my youth group when I was the youth pastor where we did something called the Glammies every year, which was basically, it's funny because the Grammys are for music. I actually, it's the, the, the previous youth pastor, Trevor O'Keefe, came up with it and then I inherited it. But basically it was a film festival. So every every year the kids would make short films and you like as the years went on they kept more and more kids kept approaching me saying hey can you be in charge of my video can you direct it and edit it and produce it because we really like what you do so but my last year doing that i think i was producing like seven short films for the kids and i just i i look forward to it every year it was always so yeah. fun yeah. <laughs> it's like it's awesome I love the creativity aspect, man. And, you know, other stuff I saw from you later on, this is even before I met you, but the next time I encountered you without even knowing I was encountering you was uh, a few years ago. This is like right when I moved from California to Oklahoma. So this is like four or five years ago. Has it been that long? I don't know. I'm really bad at keeping track of time. But uh, you were involved in a project that I was helping with called Minor Profits and Minor Keys. And that was put together by our friend Justin Thomas when he was the yeah. pastor over at Calvary the Hill in Seattle. And you, you, so basically, do you want to describe what that project was? You'll probably do a better job than me. I just built the website for it. But it was a really, really cool project. Justin did a series of sermons through the minor prophets, 12 of them, obviously. And uh, he, what he wanted to do was capture the minor key, like indie rock, uh, yeah. especially Seattle indie rock tone. Yeah, yeah. And kind of make it into an outreach in a sense. Like, mm. so he commissioned a bunch of us artists from the Seattle area, no big names other than one, Van Dusen. Really mm, cool guy. Mm. He was in a band long ago called The Lonely Forest. We played a lot of shows with them. They're really cool people, and they're Seattle-based, um, really, like, mixture of high-energy punk and um, indie rock mixed with folk and kind of beautiful songwriting lyrics. He's now, I think he's a worship pastor, actually, now up north of me. I don't remember. But, but anyway, so 12 of us wrote like an original song based on the minor prophet. So I got Zechariah, who's my one of my favorite minor prophets because Malachi was taken. And I wrote a song, don't well it was based on don't despise the small things. Mm. And the chorus was grace to us, shout it shout out loud, daughters of the king. And it was a, it was a celebration of the small things. And it kind of channeled a lot of my my heart, which is the the first lines of the song are don't despise the small things, but God, I want to do big things. Were you in yeah. a band at the time when this was happening, or I, did we get to that I, I part think, in your in your story? I wonder. I, I think if I think by then I was probably either fully launched into pastoring without music, but before that I was in a worship team called Proto Evangelion, <laughs> and we 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 arranged a lot of hymns and wrote our own songs. Hey, wait, what's the, the what's that name like where oh, does that name come from well it's greek proto means first and okay. evangelion where we get the evangelism or right. gospel it's the word for gospel but the proto evangelion if you google it it's it, it stands for first gospel and it's it's one of the theological terms for the first time the gospel is presented in genesis 3:15 hmm. where god says to the serpent he says, you will strike, well, he's talking about the seed of the woman. Serpent, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Mm. And so that, obviously, Paul takes that imagery and uses it in Romans 16 and says that's the that's what 
God has done in Christ. Mm. That's revelation. That's the story of the victory of Christ. And so it's people say that's the first gospel. And the point that I love about it is that the gospel is plan A. Yeah, yeah. Not, not plan B. It's programmed in. It's like the day Adam and Eve fall, boom, gospel put into motion. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you and I come from a tribe that sort of dispensationalism can sometimes yeah. treat the Old Testament as plan A. Okay, that's not working. Now here's plan B. Mm. And it's almost like it's almost like Jesus is saving us because we were unable to fulfill the law. Yeah, and so right. Plan A didn't work. We couldn't do it. Right. So now plan B is going, here's Jesus. That's not it. Wrong. Yeah. The reality is plan A has been there from the beginning and the law existed what Paul calls as a tutor to get us to Christ. Right. It's Mm. the, he says the 430 years of law led up to what he calls the fullness of time. Yeah. When Christ was born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, Galatians four or four. Yeah. Cause we know from like right in the beginning from that snake crusher prophecy in the garden, we know that Yahweh had that plan like it was always in the cards and so yeah i love what you're saying that idea of it's not that he tried what he did in the old testament and it failed so then he pivoted to jesus but it was you know the reason we get this this book the old testament with all of these stories of israel's highs and lows and their you know some successes but mostly failures is it 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 points us to christ like it shows us like hey like this is why we need a savior like it that's one of the things I love about the Bible is that they're willing to document the failures of the leaders of the movement, even the yeah. the 12 disciples. Like if that, that to me, that gives so much credibility too, as well, because if you're going to start a cult or some weird religion, wouldn't you want to make yourself look good? And the biblical authors are not interested in making themselves look good at right. all, you know? So that's right, a whole nother, totally. whole nother side thing. You know, the, the, the next thing uh, kind of in your creative history, and I'm sure there's been just like me, like so many projects that we're not even touching, but the thing that put you back on my radar for just the topic of creativity was, you know, you started this YouTube channel called Pacific Parable, which I think you started it kind of right around the time that COVID really started or a lot of people were staying home. It was this weird, wishy-washy, hard time to be a pastor. And you started doing some really, like, in my opinion, next level stuff with your church's sermon videos. I like wanted you to do these every week. Um, And I understand why that wouldn't be sustainable long term. But I just remember watching this very well shot video where it starts out kind of like a normal church service where, you know, people are playing worship and then you get up to preach and it's like multi multi camera, like really nice camera work. And you're you're preaching a sermon. And then like all of a sudden the camera, I I think if I'm remembering it right, the camera pans out and it's like an empty audience. There's like no one there because it's during the crazy COVID times. And then the camera zooms in and you're like, what am I doing? I need to get out of here. And and like some intern, you know, you had some actor playing an intern. He probably was an intern, but he was like, oh, sir, where are you going? (laughs) And then you just take it to the streets and then you're walking through the streets outdoors and you, you continue to preach your church's sermon, but you're doing it outdoors and it's just well shot and well lit and the audio was great. And I was like, this is cutting edge stuff, man. Like I, (laughs) I was blessed by it. I was like, if, if this was a show, I would watch it every week. You know, it was the product of 
my my own my my brain can't accept normalness. Yeah, same and man. I, <laughs> so how most creatives are. There's just this like addiction to being different. And yeah. sometimes it is so self-serving and I'm True. definitely guilty of that. And, and, and so like during COVID, there was just like such a proliferation of sermon videos and churches trying to invite people. And you still see it today, just the join my church online kind of a thing. And I think, you know, since then we've shut down our live stream because I've come to believe that church is either a gathering or nothing. Yeah. But during that time, it was crucial to make people feel like they were connecting yeah. emotionally and, you know, humor. Special methods for a special circumstance and special time. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And so to me, it was just fun. It was also, it's like every every preacher uses sermon illustrations. That's all a story is, or that's all a video is. It's a visual yeah. representation of something. So if we could communicate our points through funny methods, like my friend Jordan played in an overweight, lazy Spider-Man <laughs> in one in one of my messages, <laughs> and he was like lazy Spider-Man, and then the message was about discipleship and following Christ every day. So in the video, he starts a workout regiment, and he gets in shape. And then gets hired to be Spider-Man for kids' birthday parties and stuff like that. And so That's awesome. And so it was a representation of like, if you don't follow Jesus, you're lazy and you're sitting around and you're just, your faith is overweight, you know, it's unhealthy. But if you put it into following him and putting in the daily regiment of following him, you will get fit in your faith. So just mm. using funny things like that to try and communicate something in a way that people hadn't seen before, because people, here's the thing, people are like, other than the big names, mm. people were not watching someone who sat there at home and did church at home with my family every week for 14 straight weeks. I can tell you, you're not actually watching. You're sitting there, you're making breakfast. <laughs> You're talking to your family. I, I just know what goes into actually engaging with a concept. Yeah. And it felt more like the way I typically watch YouTube, yeah. which is, you know, I wonder if they got anything cool to say. Uh, yeah, maybe. And you're just a, you're a consumer. You are. And, right. and so how do you engage them and kind of force them to go, I have to see what's going to happen, <laughs> you know? Right, right. That was the effort. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I mean, we, we felt some of that too. I, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, in any sermon, you have to make a choice of, am I going to open myself up to get something out of it? And I yeah. understand that more now because I spent my entire twenties preaching. Like I was hardly ever in a church service. Most of my, my spiritual development came from listening to sermon podcasts from other guys, but I was so busy in the Calvary environment of, you know, every Sunday, every Wednesday, some Fridays, you know, and also teaching Bible classes at private school and all that stuff. So, you know, what, what me and my wife experienced, same thing as you, where we were doing church from home for a while with our church was we were like, whoa, it's actually kind of hard to absorb this unless we're intentional. And we're like, hey, we have to like pull out our notepads and go, we're going to sit here and focus because otherwise there's so many other things and you're just in your home that well, threaten to distract you, especially if you, you have can, kids too. You can dive really deep into what a human being is here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so space, 
space matters. We mm. are spatial creatures. You have a body and that body is relative to the walls that surround it, the mm. clothes that adorn it and the, you know, the humidity and the light <laughs> and everything. You yeah, know, yeah. when you go into a movie theater and those lights darken mm. and then the, you know, Nicole Kidman or whoever tells you to turn off your phone, like these, <laughs> this is a this is a liturgy of space mm. that is getting your mind and heart pro- primed to engage with a story. And in the same way, when you walk into a church, whether it's a Catholic church or an evangelical church, which, by the way, we are very intentional about space. Typically, <laughs> we we just kind of instead of concrete walls and and echoing chambers. Yeah. We we make it a little bit more like a coffee shop or like a community <laughs> hall or a lecture seminar hall or or a concert hall. Like it's still space. Right. And it it shapes the body to engage when you walk through the door and you're you're primed for mm. listening. And it, this idea of like, oh, OK, well, I can just sit in whatever space I want and just like push play and that's equal. That's the same mm. view of a human being. Human beings are not like that. We are not dis. Yeah. We are not brains on a stick that can just be put in whatever environment we want. You need to enter in, and yeah. that is very much environmental, and yeah. it has to do with everything around it. And I'm not saying church online is therefore horrible or bad. It's just we can't be naive about it. It, it kind of it, it puts the listener at times at a disadvantage, especially if I feel like as a new parent now with a one one and a half year old at home or one in three months. But, yeah, it puts you at a disadvantage because you're you're fighting to keep the attention. And I, I do very much agree when you're in that space. For, for me, like I'm very much like into aesthetics, like even with my own devotional time, I have a much better devotional time if like the room is clean and it's a nice space and I've got like some, you know, just ambient music noise going on in the background or or if I'm going for a walk and I'm in nature. When things are chaotic and the, the atmosphere is bad or, or distracting, it's very hard for me to feel like I connect. So I know a lot of people are that way. And uh, yeah, that's that's interesting stuff, man. That's that's good stuff. We're, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to hear a quick word from the guys over at Cultivate church planting with CGN, and then we'll get back into the episode. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the world needs more gospel-centered churches. That's why Cultivate by CGN exists. I'm Clay Worrell, Executive Director of CGN, and I'm here with my friend, Pastor Nick Cady. We want to take a moment to let you know about the Cultivate Church Planter Training Program. Cultivate has created the infrastructure to support the planting of 1,000 new churches in the next decades, starting in 2023. We follow in the footsteps of renowned church planters in the Calvary Chapel movement, embracing and adopting their rich heritage of church planting in order to transmit our values, theology, and philosophy of ministry to this generation and for those to come. You know, as church planters ourselves, we understand that planting a church is not an easy task, but we believe it's an essential one. That's why we've created a range of resources to help you and your team prepare for the journey ahead. Our resources are personal, 
practical and pastoral. Our program is from six to 24 months and is designed to equip you to lead a gospel-centered community wherever God has called you around the world. We also have a global team of mentors and coaches with thousands of hours of experience planting and pastoring churches, and they're ready to support you in the training phase, the launch phase, and in the post-launch phase of planting a church. With our guidance and support, you can feel confident in your ability to engage the world for Christ. Are you ready to answer the call of church planting? Together we can make a difference and bring the hope of the gospel to communities around the world. If you're ready to take the next steps and learn more about our church planting program, we invite you to visit our website at cultivatechurchplanting.com. Welcome back to the show. Riley, we are talking about creativity, and I've got a question, a specific question for you about this, because you are somebody who, like me, you had all this creative energy. You know, I wanted to go to film school. I didn't. You did. We both ended up in ministry, and we both have found ways to use our creativity in the process of ministering to people. And I want to get into, like, the theology of that, and I want to get into application around that. But before, here's a question I have for you specifically on this. Like, as somebody in ministry who also is a creative, how do you navigate ego in creative work and maintain a focus on the message rather than on wanting personal validation for your creativity? And just to take it further, this is the analogy I would use. Like, I've got a friend who is a musician, and he's one of my best friends growing up. And for him, like, it's not ministry. Like, it's just, it's just pure unbridled creativity. Like, here's my heart. Here's my passion. I'm putting it all into these songs. And for a musician, like, you should want, you, you should be ambitious. Like, you, you should want to not just play tiny coffee shops your whole life. Like, it makes sense for a musician to want to one day get so big that they're like to have that dream of like, you know, selling out stadiums and having people come to hear them play. But I feel like for someone in ministry, it's kind of flip flop where it's like, that shouldn't be the focus. Like the the focus shouldn't be, I'm going to be such a dynamic creative speaker that I'm going to have this massive following. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's normal in the music scene. And I think it's actually, it's fine. Like there, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I think, the ego can be a danger when it comes to ministry. At least, at least I've experienced that that danger to to focus on myself and not on the message. So, can you speak to that at all? I think that one of the main things attached to creativity is individual expression hmm. as one of the goals. Yeah. So you you hear musicians, artists all the time say things like this. They're a graphic designer or they're working at some company, some design company of some kind. And they say, yeah, I just had to put in my dues and then I was able to express myself and really be free to create what I wanted to create. Right. Now, part of that, I think, honors the creative impulse in God mm-hmm. who who on page one, in fact, verse one of the Bible says he was a creative being. Yes. It's kind of it's kind of what we know about him. It's it's right there on page one. In the beginning, God one. created. Like so, I, th- I do think <laughs> that there is something to originality hmm. that is true to the instinct of the creative. So, but while if I put that aside for a second, I do think there is a harmfulness in 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 us being overly 
obsessed with individuality and individual expression mm. as being somehow makes something more valuable. And here's what I mean by that. Yeah. What is the one is what is the most famous painting in all of history? Oh gosh, there's a lot. Uh I'm going to I feel so basic throwing this one out, but I'd say Mona Lisa. Right. Mona Lisa. <laughs> think of think of Da Vinci painting the Mona Lisa. Think of Michelangelo painting the Sistine, the Sistine Chapel. Chapel. Yeah. Think of Raphael. Think of the other Ninja all, Turtles. All the Ninja Turtles. Uh, Ninja oh Turtles. my gosh. <laughs> we both went you there. Know, <laughs> we both went there. But think <laughs> of these guys. Now, here's a question. Did these amazing master artists paint for their own individual expression? Man, I mean, I'd, I don't know enough about art history to tell you. No, they were graphic designers. <laughs> they were hired by patrons who would commission them to create works that exalted the patron's name in some kind of way. Mm. Um, yeah. And so my point there is not to say that's a great system, although we are ironically returning to the patron system through the internet and, and websites like Patreon. But, but my point is that great art is not necessarily attached to you. Yes. And your individuality and look at me, look at me, look how great I am. It's like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. You can make the most brilliant work of art attached to someone else's name. Yeah, You yeah. can. Yeah. And as a Christian, the patron, he's the one who has commissioned you. Holy and he, yeah. to exalt his name is not, is not a denigration of your worth or value as an artist or the piece itself. In fact, the more it glorifies his name, the the more that I think it has transcendent value. Mm. And and so as an artist, you have to do that mental work. You have to go, what I'm creating is not attached to my glory, yep. but it's attached to my patron. Yes. That's Jesus. And the craziest thing that I recently learned is in, in the book Honor, Patronage, Kinship, and Purity by David De Silva. He, he dives into New Testament culture and the patron-client relationship. Mm. That This was this class. I mean, you've heard of this, right? The, the yeah. Pope or the Medici family commissions Michelangelo to paint this thing, right? It's a patron-client relationship. Mm. Now, in the ancient world, this pate commissioned the client or the servant or whoever he commissioned him to do the work. That relationship, what the patron gave that commissioned artist was charis or mm. grace. Mm. And it that the point is that, he, and he's making this point in the book, that the, the Pauline New Testament understanding of grace is from the creative relationship between patron and client. Mm. That, that what Christ has given us, grace, is a lot like what a patron gives an artist. Yeah. I'm giving you the resources. I'm giving you the time. I'm giving you the energy. Yeah. I'm giving you the the platform and the canvas and the tools. I'm giving you whatever yeah. you want to create something that glorifies my name. Yeah. And so this transforms our understanding of grace. Grace, as it's often presented, is almost like a birthday present. God's giving you this birthday present. Open it up. Do you like it? Cool. Thumbs up. Yay. Happy birthday. Let's all go home. <laughs> but in the ancient world, it wasn't that you had to repay the person. That's not possible. You're 
a poor, starving artist, right? But it was that he gave you everything you needed to create this brilliant thing that ultimately the strings attached were that it glorified his name. Yeah. And in the same way, Jesus has given us through mm. grace everything we need to make something beautiful mm. and to be beautiful ourselves. And it's all the strings attached are that it needs to glorify Jesus's name. So that, as That's an beautiful. artist, that framework yeah. helps me not be egotistical and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it's it's right. it's really to glorify Jesus. that man that's such a beautiful beautiful framework because it's just to me the ego piece it's so easy to let that slip in i remember listening to the the rise and fall of mars hill and mark driscoll was a guy who i really admired not necessarily it was weird when i when i when i was a youth pastor i did not admire his like fiery like let's scream at people thing but just his creativity like I, I watched his sermons and I was like, wow, there's a lot of creative energy put into this. Yeah. And then to listen to that podcast and to hear some of the people who worked for him behind the scenes where it wasn't necessarily from their perspective, they didn't experience it as like, hey, we're building the kingdom of God together and let's be creative. But it was more of like, let's build Mark's platform because he's he's analyzing you know, what is effective and what is going to get the most attention and what's going to prop, you know, skyrocket him up. And I just think there can be that temptation in ministry sometimes to 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 build your own platform and to have it in mind of not like how how can I build something that's going to amplify Jesus, but more of like, how can I build something that draws the attention back to me? And I think that desire is it's almost subtle. Like, I think some of us might experience it without even realizing that we're going to that place in our heart. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, totally. I think that. We have to be careful because on the one hand, the platform is the platform of making disciples, the yeah. platform of pointing people to Christ is the platform of the gospel. But on the other hand, there's just the sheer practical thing. Yeah. Well, it is me. It's my name and it is our church and it is this brand, so to speak. Yeah. Sort of identity. And so there's some, it's kind of practical to create something and then and to realize like, okay, in order to point people to Christ, I do need to point people to this thing. Yeah. Right. But I think that there's a way to understand that, that helps you avoid the, the confusion of one for the other. James Bannerman wrote a book in the 1800s called the church of Christ. And in it, there's a chapter on what he calls local creeds. Mm. These were, we would call them mission statements, <laughs> but, but his point is like, Hey, one local church differs in flavor, mm. audience, mission, geography mm. from another church. So what, it, how do we understand these differences? And he called them local creeds, come up with like a paragraph that describes this is our church. This is what we're about. Yeah. So we would call them mission, vision, and values statements, you know? Right. Right. And, uh, the, my point there is that your local creed, right, your ministry, its identity, its platform, it needs to be so deferential mm. and it's constantly reflecting, mm. right? So for us, 
Our vision as a church is to see those broken by sin redeemed by Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it's a discipleship framework. There's a journey there to see those who are broken renewed. So there's a darkness to light, death to life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, evil, evil to righteousness, that kind of story embedded in it. But it's by definition passive. We want to see those broken by sin renewed by Jesus. So he's actually the active agent in it. Yeah, yeah. And so what I'm trying to do is like, oh, here's our vision. I'm not saying it's some great, clever thing. It's definitely not the most poetic or or bumper sticker worthy. <laughs> but 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 what it has helped me do is communicate something that is deferential. So whatever, whenever we point here, we know we're pointing there. Yeah. You know, our local creed deflects. It reflects any, any attention goes immediately the other way. I, I love that. Of course, the intangible thing about Driscoll and others is dude's prideful. Hmm. There's no getting around it. And at the end of the day, if you're prideful, yeah, it's, it's an issue of the heart, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's hard. Pride, pride is one of those things that there's some people that it's so evident that they're prideful, and then there, there's others of us where that pride can stay hidden. That's something I've had to wrestle with in my own heart and life is just realizing that there was pride there that I didn't even know was there for the longest time. I think, yeah, self self examination is so important. One one of the things you talked about about reflecting you know, reflecting God back on others and, and that being one of the purposes of the artist. It reminds me of another artist, Josh White, one of my favorite pastors and musicians, and he has a line in his song, I think it's called To Burn In You is the name of the song, but it's such a killer line. Uh, oh Lord, I am like the moon Without the sun I hang in darkness too So be the light like the chance to reflect up me the love that comes from you. Oh Lord, I am like the moon. Without the sun, I hang in darkness. So love be the light. That. Be the light that shines off me. Re reflect the love that comes from you. And I, I love that picture because for us, if we're just trying to be this big egotistical thing it's like it's like a moon without light it's worthless to anybody but if we allow ourselves to have that light from the lord shine on us and reflect back on others it, it becomes this beautiful beautiful thing I, I also love what you said about the patron thing like that got me going man the whole idea of us as ministers because I, I truly believe that every pastor is an artist whether you you think so or not i think that we are all apprentice painters of the master artist and he's just like you said like he's the patron not only is he the patron but he's also the original artist and he's given us like the inspiration and the muse and the canvas to work off of and he wants us he wants us to imitate him and i think that's where the creativity part comes in to me as a pastor is if i go into a sermon i want it to be a creative thing because when I think about good art and what it accomplishes, whether it's a painting or a documentary or a movie, if it's a good piece of art, it makes people think and it makes them feel. It connects the head and the heart, information to the soul. And so when I plan out a sermon, I want it to be artistic. Like I want it to have art infused within it through the illustrations, through the arrangement and the structure of the sermon and how it points to God. But to me, it's like, it's not just art for the sake of art. 
Because if I go in and I just try to just do some like avant-garde weird sermon, people are going to leave more confused. But if I go in and I'm like, okay, I know what picture I'm supposed to be painting and I know how people are supposed to feel and how they're supposed to think after seeing it because that's how I felt and that's what I thought after I saw the original, you know? And I think we've all learned that lesson yeah. where we were just overly creative and overly abstract or yes. avant-garde in our illustrations. Like I remember using the novel Dune as an <laughs> illustration. I used it as this illustration of oh, of like putting your hope in a false messiah or something. And I was like, you know, in Dune, who's the Kwisatz Haderach? Is it Paul Atreides? Because <laughs> the Bene Gesserits think so. But then he's he's not. And, you know, guys, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> didn't work at all. Yeah, that's a classic case, I think, of when instead of learning our audience and knowing our audience, we're just putting things in our sermons that we like and that yes. we appreciate. I've done that before. Like I, I've, I've had some things where I was, you know, listening to a lot of uh, John Mark Homer, who I love. But he's doing ministry in like Portland, like secular, progressive Portland, I'm speaking to a bunch of church kids in Vista, California, who are like the the sons and daughters of pastors on staff and, you know, private school kids. And so it's a different context. And so I'm not saying yeah. it's wrong to incorporate some of those things, but if you're just, if you're just putting in stuff that speaks to you into your sermons and not paying attention to like, who, who has God given me to speak to? Well, I think that you can, you can synthesize that with what we were just saying about originality where... Yeah. You can tell that right there, the problem is not that you're too original, but it's mm. that you're or or not original enough. The problem is that you're not serving yeah. through your art. Like right. ultimately, okay, let me give you another example. I had this illustration from Harry Potter about how <laughs> the human identity is like a horcrux. <laughs> and I said, I said, Voldemort cast the killing curse on Harry and it split his soul and his soul attached to the whatever living thing in the room. And that's your identity. Your identity is looking for something to attach to. And, and you might say that it's it's whatever you says it is. But actually, it's just finding work or sex or gender or or religion or whatever. And it's just fastening itself to that. And everyone's just going, well, what? What are you saying? And so I ended up the second time I... I, I thought that was a terrible illustration. Why? Because I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't serving my congregation. Yeah. Okay, let me give you another example. Right. I said the human identity is like a hermit crab. <laughs> a hermit crab will find a home wherever it is. If he can't find a shell, he'll find a Coke can mm. and he will make his home there. And in the same way, your identity needs to have a home. If you say, oh, it's mine and I can express myself however I want and I can control, that's not true. It's going to find a home, even if it's a Coke can. Hmm. And it's, I don't know if that's better, but it, my point is just that, that sometimes we can be, you know, non-original where we're plagiarizing and borrowing, but then too original where it's really unique to us. And the best kind of creativity is when you serve others with yes. your gifts. Harold Best has a book called Music Through the Eyes of Faith, mm. and he has this chapter on what he calls appropriateness. Mm. And his point that he's making is this thing that you and I are talking about where artists feel like they are, quote, selling out. Yeah. I'm selling out. I'm not being true to myself and true to my art 
I'm dumbing it down for the common person. That kind of thinking, he says, that is non-Christian thinking. Hmm. He said, Jesus emptied himself of of, of equality with God. He did not consider equality with God as a thing to hold on to, but emptying himself became a man in the form of a servant. There is that Jesus dumbed himself down. Yeah. And he was still true to himself. Yeah. And in the same way, when you play music or make art, dumbing yourself down so that you connect with your audience, (laughs) that is not selling out. That's being a servant. And people will appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's that's really, I mean, the whole dumbing yourself down thing. That's really, I think, one of the only effective ways to teach. Like, you know, my seminary professor, uh, Gary Brashear, he... (laughs) is so smart and every time we do this cohort class with him he's so dumbing everything down for us to help gently walk us through it i mean he'll have you have you you've had him right oh yeah so he'll do that thing you know where he'll like be just going through a bible story and he'll be like samson good guy bad guy good guy bad guy <laughs> it's like it, it's just trying to get us to wrestle with the fundamentals i i, I so agree with that approach man i I think for me, creativity, the, the way I try to incorporate it into preaching myself, if, if I'm you know, thinking through the methodology of it, is I'm trying to, I think sometimes sermons can have the danger of becoming so stale. And I think creativity breathes life into it because you should be excited about expressing the beauty of Jesus. Like you want people to be sitting in a sermon. And I, I saw a quote the other day, I think it was from Spurgeon, but it was basically like something along the lines of the best sermon will get people so excited and wrapped up in the theme that you're preaching that they will have no mental space to have anything to say about the preacher. Like they won't leave saying, wow, Aaron did a great job today. They'll leave going, whoa, that biblical theme has come alive to me. And that's what you want. I think you could even say that great preachers might make their audience feel like they're smarter than him. Mm. Like they might walk away. They might walk away and go, wow, Riley's kind (laughs) of, he's kind of (laughs) dumb. And then they go up to you afterwards and go, you know, you know, that really, you know, here's what I thought of it. And then you look at all of the research that went into it and go like the work it takes to dumb it down. And and we got to be obviously we got to be careful because we're, we're talking about connecting and serving an audience, not about watering it down. Right. That's a different thing. And it's, uh, it's getting the cookies off the top shelf and putting them yes. where people can find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're loving and serving people by presenting the ideas as complex as they are in a way that's ascertainable to them yeah. rather than with, and I, I feel the temptation. Like I love Keller and John Tyson and other people and they quote people a lot yeah. and they read widely. And I really respect that. Yeah. My preaching career, I have been known to quote five, six, seven, sometimes 10 sources. Same. The sermon. <laughs> and if I'm being honest, those have not been my best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and most people, at least in their feedback, and my wife, who's probably my best critic, um, <laughs> because she's encouraging, she rates me on a scale of seven to ten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and she says the tens are the ones where I didn't quote anybody, hmm. where it was the most. I wouldn't call it simplistic, but the most accessible. Yeah. And and I go, but 
And she goes, we can tell you're reading all these things. Yeah. And your personality, your creativity shines through regardless. Yeah. But you're, you're just setting that aside. Like Christ, you're emptying yourself of these things you think are so cool. Yeah. In order to make sure that people don't lose track of the simple truth. Right. Yeah. There can be that temptation when you're reading all these great old dead authors and it's like this excitement of like i want other people to experience this and and it's like you said there's also that that pride that comes in where it's like i want people to know that i'm reading all this stuff yeah i've i've found too that i tend to use too many quotes and i've been trying to work on that and cut back i don't think it's wrong to use quotes at all but i think yeah it's like more strategic placement of like am i using this to just punctuate something I said to, to make something I said that I'm not confident enough in what I said. So I need to use C.S. Lewis or Spurgeon or somebody to, to give me more credibility. Or am I using this quote strategically because I know it's going to impress some deep truth on someone's heart? I feel the same way about humor. It's like, why are you using humor in a sermon? When I started out in youth ministry, I was doing half sermon, half stand up acts. And it was middle school. I was inexperienced, no training. But as I grew, I the Lord started to convict me and was like, you need to give much more meat in these messages. And I started to look at humor differently, where I saw it as a tool, not as a means to an end, but I saw it as basically anytime I'm making somebody laugh in a sermon, it's for a purpose. I'm trying to lower their defenses because that's what humor does. It lowers people's guards. And then while their guard is lowered, like right after the joke, then stab them hard with some truth in the heart. You know what I mean? Yeah, it opens up the chink in their armor so that you can slide the knife right right in. Mm. Humor is, I agree, humor is a tool. I I had a discussion with a preacher who was saying that he thinks humor is inappropriate, (laughs) just blank statement. And I said, (laughs) I said, some of us can't help it. You know, I, I couldn't take humor out if I tried. Yeah, same. It's just part of who I am. I've tempered and, it down a lot over the years, but because I, I listen to some old messages and I, I do cringe because I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this this guy, which is me, but I'm like, this guy that I disown. Well, not let me, me ask you about that. Like, okay, so you're teaching middle schoolers. You're using humor. Yeah. Would you say, though, that what you've learned over the years is how to still engage them at the right at the same pitch but not depend too much on humor because i think that's the thing it's like sometimes we say well i'm doing this much jokes or this much humor because you know they get bored or they and I'm, i'm just trying to engage them yeah but so would you say that would you say that if you were to preach to those same middle schoolers you could use less humor and they'd be just as engaged you know I I think that there was an immaturity in me when I started out in ministry, and I'm very thankful that God, you know, kind of beat that out of me. I I think that, well, he probably still has a lot of beating left to do, if I'm honest. But uh, yeah, middle school, I I, I would have done it differently. I, I think I would still use humor, but just I don't think it's right that that half of a sermon should be a stand up act. There was just so many unnecessary jokes that didn't point to anything or, or help with anything. It was just me trying to entertain them because I wasn't confident enough in my preaching ability. So I thought I've got to keep them engaged by all these jokes. It, it was, I mean, I had the same group of kids. So uh, when I moved up into high school ministry, my kids moved up with me. And I remember my first Sunday preaching high school, I was trying the same approach and they were looking at me like, bro, like, what is wrong with you? We're in high school now. And I, it just, this light bulb went off where I was like, well, I need to actually like 
put some deep stuff in these messages for these kids because they deserve it. Like they deserve the deep things of God. So I still use humor. I think in almost every message I do, there's there's humor in there, but it's just much more purposeful. There, it, it's 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 less random. It's more of when I'm thinking about it in an artistic way. It's one of the colors in my palette swatch that I dip into, and it's for a specific purpose that I paint with that. Yeah, that's good. And I think that for any ministry leader, you can set boundaries for yourself. Yeah. And go like, like for me, one of my boundaries is one cross reference per, which mm. um, that's an early mistake I think a lot of young preachers make is they just are cross referencing too much. <laughs> and uh, it, it's not that it's wrong. It's just that it, it distracts the mind from the text yeah. that you're in. Now, this is different than tracing a theme and going, let me show you how it's here, 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 and here, and here. And right. now let me make my point. I'm saying like just, you know, cross-referencing, illustrations, humor, all these tools, right? Um, having boundaries on it and just going like, I'm going to give myself one joke per sub point or something like that, you know, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. you know, that's what great writers do. Stephen King talks about the, the, the necessity of outlining. Yeah. Because if you don't outline your story, one section is going to be way longer than the next, way longer, way shorter than the, and now you have an uneven story. Filmmakers, man, filmmaking, screenwriting is one of the most rigid right disciplines because it requires such a structure you got three acts and mm. they they with with a midpoint you have three acts and a midpoint and they all in every movie they do the same thing mm. and it's it's just a structure that almost seems hardwired into us it's that rigid and people try to not honor it and there are different formulations of it like five acts really the same thing and honestly paul uses it jesus uses it beginning middle and end that's that's what we call it beginning middle and end and and so the point there is that like honoring structure and boundaries and just going like if i've got 10 jokes that's too many yeah you know i'm still being funny just not beyond the necessity you know What encouragement would you give to somebody listening to this episode who has a ton of creativity, like whether that's through music, whether that's through, you know, uh, drawing or painting, whether that's through a desire to start a podcast, uh, filmmaking, you know, there's there's all these different creative outlets and they want to use their creativity for the kingdom, but they don't know how or they feel insecure about it. And they're also wrestling with that ego aspect of like, do I really want to do this for Jesus or do I just want all this recognition for my skill set? What, what encouragement would you leave people with as we wrap up the episode? I would say creativity is a word that is sometimes used as a synonym for eccentricity. Hmm. When people say I'm creative, they mean I'm weird <laughs> yeah. or I'm random right? or I'm disorganized. Or I'm I have a like a certain aesthetic. It's it's a word that's nearly meaningless, <laughs> and and so I would one encouragement that I've said to especially some young people that I've talked to when they say I'm creative, I say, great. Where's your creation? Hmm. 
because the product of creativity is creation. That's what gives glory to God. When God is creative, in the beginning he created, boom, there was light. Here's the world. There it is. It's very good. And it points to him. And the, the, the ultimate creation is the image of God, which is literally created to image or to reflect him. Yeah. So the, the ultimate thing in creation is humanity. And you're there. Here we are. We see us look around. We're in it. Mm. And in the same way, if you really want to be create creative, a better word is productive. Mm. Creativity is is primarily productivity. It's not about having a certain aesthetic and that makes me creative. It's not even about technically about being super original. At the end of the day, I'm a preacher. I I preach someone else's words for a living. And if I'm being super original in Christianity, that can be a problem. Actually, Mm. it's sometimes called heresy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know? Right. Right. And so at the end of the day, you know, no matter how, expressive you are or original or special you think you are if it's not productive and seen tangible and made in such a way as to serve others then it's not creativity not in the sense that we see in in god Hmm. that creativity creates it produces and so so the one thing is like I guess that's like a get to work kind of thing. (laughs) You know, people say, I want to be, one kid told me, I want to be a graphic designer. And I said, what's stopping you? Because why I need to take a class. I go, no, you don't. You should take a class to guide you. Yeah. But not to start you. Yeah. There's no need for that. Not in today's world. Not in the world of creative cloud and youtube tutorials and with everything i do i'm i'm basically 100 percent self-taught and i i think we're living in an age where anybody can educate their, themselves to which harness it, which makes the ability it, that's inside which makes it overwhelming it's a it's a it's a great irony isn't it it's right. like you have so many you have literally every art school education you can find on youtube so so there's nothing stopping you except your own choice and conviction that actually creativity is productivity. Right. And and ultimately, if I don't create something, then I'm not being creative. So I'm seeing the process of creating as product oriented. You end up mm. with something. And which there's a another side to this. This should be an encouragement to people who feel like they're not being creative. Yeah. Like myself, here I am writing sermons producing ministries you know how, how is that creative i think in our traditional understanding which is not a bad understanding it makes sense you you divide the world into like form and function right that's one of the divisions that makes sense for for sure but my point is that the people who do the function piece are just as creative as the people who do the form piece yeah and that the person who like engineered my house he's productive he had to create something and and you see this on in genesis 1 he he creates man in his image this is the point dorothy sayers makes in her book mind of the maker Mm. he creates man in his image and then the next couple lines is go be fruitful multiply Mm. 
control the earth, right? This is all part of the, in his image, continuing his creative work, right? Andy Crouch, same, same, makes the same point in his book. I think it's culture makers or something like that. It's like culture is the creation of something from nothing. Yeah. It's taking the world as it's been given and it's creating it into something new, something good, just like God. Oh, J.R.R. Tolkien makes this point in his essay. He calls us sub creators. Mm. We don't make from nothing like God. Yeah. We make from something. Yes. But it's from a raw something to a cultivated something. Yeah. It's from the elements he he gives us. You know, the, the encouraging thing that I've heard that's really blessed me and and and, and just when I've talked to young people who are creative, it's been such a blessing for them to hear this message. But the idea of there are those of us who are artists in ministry. And I think, like I said, I think every pastor, whether they're the most left brain, you know, just by the book preacher in the world, I think they're still creative. But for us, it's that art of I'm going to create a sermon or a song like a worship leader. And it's an art that points to God and points people back to God in that way. I also think like, you know, uh, uh, someone who is just writing a song about love that's appropriate and not like going to stumble people or anything, but just a love song that points people back to that original source. Like who's the creator of love? It's God. You know, I can paint a sunset. It doesn't have to have a cross on it to be reflecting God's nature. He's the one who made the original sunset. I think that there are some of the, the royal Psalms that say basically in Hebrew form, they say, God save the king. <laughs> and they're like a celebration of the, of the, the monarchy. I, I think that modern evangelicals would say, but how is this Christian? Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, it's like, how are, how is this Christian? They would talk to Esther, you know, and go, but how are you being a Christian witness? Yeah. It's like it, we have to understand that when we are being creative in whatever form, we are echoing yes the cre the cu culture mandate uh, the creation mandate and when we love our spouse the same yeah. thing yeah. when we pick up our kids which i got to do in in, <laughs> in in 4 minutes we are <laughs> we are echoing the creation mandate and mm. i as a preacher it is true that jesus came as a rabbi proclaiming the kingdom of god mm. so i think that's where we where we go, oh, well, I'm just doing what Jesus did. Jesus is the son of God. He's better than everybody. So therefore <laughs> I'm better than everybody. It's like, <laughs> oh, listen, Jesus is better than everybody because he is. Yeah. Not because he was a rabbi. There were a lot of rabbis back then and they were not better than everybody. And in the same way, you preacher, you are not better than everybody. And so um, yeah. I think preachers got to watch out for elevating the, the ministry task above the vocational task of our average people. The yeah. world needs more good fathers who work hard. And my encouragement to them is like, if you're a creative in spirit like me, and you feel like you're not being, just realize that when you create a child's faith yeah. through discipleship, that's creativity. When you create an Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> uh, that's creativity. I really believe that. I genuinely yeah. do. That's encouraged me as I produce messages. I go, oh, I wanted to be a filmmaker, but here I am preaching for a living. And, and I'm seeing actually it's the same thing and it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's still 
in the image of God, still yep. producing and cultivating this world that it's been given to me and shaping it in his image, according to his glory and his plan to the best of my ability, creating it into something better. Amen. It's beautiful, Riley. Dude, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, your heart, your creativity. I'm going to add links to a bunch of your stuff in the show notes for people to check out, especially that Axe video series. <laughs> It'll blow My your mind, guys. But uh, <laughs> thanks for being here, man. I appreciate hey, you thanks. so much and uh, can't wait till our next talk. 100%. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. We hope this episode has encouraged and challenged you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Our goal and heart for the show is to always be pointing you to the God who is not safe, but who is very, very good. If you enjoyed this show, we would so appreciate it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. The more reviews we get, the more people are able to find the show. So please leave a review. It helps so much. The Good Line Podcast is produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. And we are a part of CGN Media. For more great content, visit cgnmedia.org. For more from Good Lion Ministries, you can also find tons of podcasts, resources, courses, and more at our ministries website, goodlion.org. If you'd like to support the work that we do, please visit goodlion.org support. With your help, we can continue pointing people to Jesus and providing thought-provoking resources for the church. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this episode helped you on your journey of following Jesus. And until next time, keep your eyes fixed on him.